We're going to talk about modalism, Patrick, modalism, the sufficiency of Scripture, the insufficiency of church signs, and the danger of learning about Luther biography from a Roman Catholic. Stay tuned. Table Talk Radio. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said, to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. So, uh, if you guys would put the mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. A bit like stepping in a pothole full of water. This is Table Talk Radio. And we're going to be oh. doing some... Are you suggesting that our listeners should try that? Uh, they could try it and see if it's a apropos metaphor. It seems more like dipping your ear <laughs> well, you, you, I was thinking you know, how you're walking along and you see a little bit of water, no big deal, you just walk right through it, but you find out it's not just a little bit, a little puddle, it's a pothole. Uh, and I see. Psh, you're splash. talking about how profound the insights are in Table Talk Radio. Unexpected and profound. No, that was not the metaphor. Await. <laughs> oh, oh, I was talking about the the ruining your day kind of a walk to work kind of a thing. <laughs> like my day was going fine until Table Talk Radio came about. Yep, that's true. That's true. Hey, someone on our Facebook page pointed out that this summer marks 10 years of Table Talk Radio. That's like Man, 70 man. dog years. <laughs> it's it, <laughs> You know some people they've been trying to break bad habits for that long. That's true. Just saying. Um, several of yeah. Uh, okay, so today we're going to be doing some bumper sticker church sign theology. We're going to be listening to uh, some audio from a video on Martin Luther from Bishop Barron. Uh, that'll be interesting. And then we're also going to be closing out the show soon, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> but first, buzzwords. Go ahead, Pastor Wolfman. My buzzword for you is sufficiency. So especially important when we talk about the Bible, remember we have the three attributes of the Bible that we like to share with the evangelicals. That is inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy, all good. But then we have the efficacy, the sufficiency, and the clarity of the Scriptures, our Lutheran attributes that we want to extol. And the sufficiency is basically this, that the Bible is enough, that the Lord has given us all that we need to know for life and godliness in the words of the prophets and the apostles. That's great. That's it. That's it. Maybe my theological buzzword would Did be... Did I not give you enough time to find a buzzword? <laughs> not really. Maybe my buzzword would be insufficiency. <laughs> Insufficient time to find a buzzword. <laughs> All right, here's one. Uh, modalism. That's a good one. Modalism. This is a Trinitarian heresy. It was the teaching that God is not one person and uh, three distinct persons, but is uh, one in nature only, and then expresses himself 
through the various uh, modes, hence the word modalism, of the Trinity, so that God will, uh, in a time, work as God the Father, and then um, as if he changes, takes off that hat and puts on the hat of God the Son and does his work as God the Son, and then he changes hats again and does his work as God the Holy Spirit. And this is a way of articulating the Trinity, which is wrong, uh, because it doesn't allow the Father to be God and the Son to be God at the same time. So we want to keep it simple and simply confess that God is one in essence and yet three in person, so that uh, God the Father is not the same as God the Son, and yet there is one divine being, one God. All right. How many people do you think, when you say modalism, say, here in their head, that's modalism, Patrick? (laughs) Two or three. Because there's only two or three people listening. I think, yeah, 100% of the two or three listeners. I think think everybody thinks that now. That's moodless. That video is like, it's like right between like Beyonce and Imagine Dragons on views on YouTube, man. That's that's an interesting watch list you have there, Pastor Wolfman. Nobody's going to be named Patrick anymore either because... Everybody, you know, it's like oh Patrick. It's like uh, Charlie bit my finger. Uh, teach us about the Trinity, Patrick, and uh, I don't know what other viral videos are out there. All right, let's dive in. Look um, at all those chickens. If you have church signs or bumper stickers that you need us to analyze because you don't know how to do it yourself, give us a call one eight hundred three eight five Sola one eight hundred three eight five seven six five two. Is that a free service? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, it is. As long as you send in $10, it's free. All right, here's the first one. Hello, this is Eric, your Southern California Wells Lutheran listener. I have a church sign and bumper sticker. Do, do, do the Wells have to stipulate that they're Lutheran? Because it, it sounds redundant to have the L in Wells and then to say Lutheran. But maybe maybe there's the Wells. Lutherans? How would it be like? We're the Wee's Lutheran Synod. Maybe it's to separate well, themselves from the Wells who aren't Lutheran. We should start doing that in the LCMS. I'm just saying. <laughs> the church sign Good is plan. from the Catholic Church down the road. It says, just a few weeks after Easter here, it says, pretend it's Easter and join us for church this Sunday. <laughs> and the bumper sticker says... Wait, wait, wait. Let's pause it. Let's let's deal with these one at a time. Okay, so the, you have the Catholic Church that says, pretend it's Easter and join us for church on Sunday. So this comes up. That's obnoxious. I like how we're almost ready to enter Lent, and we're talking about the voicemail that came in. Well-timed. We <laughs> could just be like, if we could have just put it off for three more weeks, we would have been right on time. I think it's, uh, I think um, uh, that's a bit snarky. It that is. a church sign? It is. Is now um, I, is snark so an effective like the, effective tool of getting people to church? Well, well, I mean, I it, I, I don't know if snark is better than vain flattery. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's catering to the Catholic guilt. That's what they're after. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. Know. I mean, I generally question the effectiveness of any church sign. I mean, ever. I don't know. Ours says the church service says that starts at ten. At nine. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty effective. And the the service is really at nine. (laughs) (laughs) Just to see how effective the sign is. (laughs) But, you know, most of the general theory for the church sign is snark. uh, I mean, is uh, is puns. Mm -hmm. And this one has gone for the snark route. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We should call the church and see if they've had a measurable 
increase in attendance. I'm sure. Uh, now, why is it that attendance goes up on Easter? I mean, I, 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 everyone you know, knows that it does, is, but why? I don't think this is a a trend that we're going to see for too much longer. In fact, I'm already starting to notice it. All the folks that normally would kind of show up on Easter and Christmas, but they don't. They're not showing up anymore because it used to be that being a Christian was good. Uh, and so to show that you're a good person, you should probably go to church every now and again. You have all this nostalgia around Christmas and Easter, so you do it. Then Christianity became kind of neutral, but very quickly Christianity became an evil. And it became a dangerous thing socially, especially, to identify yourself with the Christians. So I think um, that because the moral status of Christianity in the United States has changed so drastically, at least on the coasts and maybe in the cities. What do you know about that? that? We're not going to see as much of the bump. But it's just, you know, you have these family traditions that are there. And God be praised that we have family traditions. Some some people get mad that people don't just come on Christmas and Easter. And it would be we should keep the commandment and go to church every week. But it's going to get worse. I mean, I remember, I remember when I was first a pastor, and, and one of the things that us pastors would talk about is, well, what do you do with all the people that want to come to church and get married, but they're not members? Well, that problem didn't last very long. I mean, even the members don't want to get married in church anymore. They want to go to the mountains or on, on, you know, some beach or find a pine cone to get married under or something. You know, I've and, never, uh, I've never done a uh, wedding in a church other than when I got married. It, <laughs> Not that I appreciated that. It's amazing, that isn't it? That's amazing. Uh, how, I mean, can you imagine that? So the pastors used to say, here's all these people. They come and they want to get married in the church, and they're not even members. Well, now the members don't even. So it's same with funerals, you know. Mm-hmm. It used to be we wondered what to do about funerals, and, and that hasn't changed so totally, but it's changing pretty quick. People who are members don't even want to come to the church at the funeral. I, so, I, I wonder if the, the pastors who live in, like, Kansas and Nebraska uh, are seeing that weddings have a trend outward rather than in the buildings. Uh, we or, should ask him. Or Dear <laughs> pastors in Nebraska. <laughs> this is maybe just a struggle for pastors in states like Colorado and Oregon. <laughs> like, I want to get married by the Could pig be. silo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You have more outside options when you're here in the mountains or in Oregon. That's right. People, people in the Midwest are thinking, outside? We do everything we can to avoid the outside. It's dirty out there. <laughs> Oh man, you're offending all of our our uh, Midwest listeners. Hey, sorry. They're right. going to call and see if this is a problem for them too. All right, we're on it. Uh, we're coming up on a break, and then we'll get to the second half of this message from Eric. Thought, didn't you say we wanted to go through these quickly? Yes, I did. So we're going to get to it right after this break. <laughs> I need to take a break already. Aren't you tired? Oh, sure. I'm tired. Okay, I'm catch my this. breath. If you have a bumper sticker or a church sign, you can call it in. Just add this number to your phone so I don't have to keep giving it out, 1-800-385-SOLA. Now now I can just say, uh, from now on, I'll just say, hit speed dial 2. Speed dial 2. So mom gets number 1, table talk radio gets number 2, and then whoever you need, your pastor is number (laughs) 3. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 1-800-385-SOLA. Or you can send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Dot org and you can send us your church signs and your bumper stickers. Got to tell you, voicemails get the uh, get the preference though. They get on in just ten months if you call it in. If you email, it might be ten years. So we'll be right back. You're listening. Or more. Or more. We've been doing this for ten years. We should find the first email ever sent to us and read it for our ten year anniversary. Nice. 
All right, we'll be right back. Table Talk Radio. We're going to try something totally new this fall, a missionary visit. We're going to go tour around Spain and see the missionaries that are there. Find out more at wolfmuller.co. Click the travel button. All right, we're back. Table Talk Radio. We're going to go through these quickly now. You ready? Is yep, that when you're ready? All right. Here, here's the uh, second half of Southern California, Eric, the Wells Lutheran listener. Obey oh, yeah. God's known word, pray for God's direction, and trust in God's unknown plan. That's on the back of a Toyota Tacoma here. Pray. This has to do with the sufficiency of the Scripture, by the, by the way. Oh, that's your buzzword. I should have let you say that. This has to do with the sufficiency of the Scripture. Hey, 500 points. Well, that's most one of the most well-crafted sentences I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> 500 points. Uh, so did you catch all that? Trust in God's revealed word with something else about denying the sufficiencies of Scripture and then <laughs> trust in God's unrevealed plan. So are you saying Mostly that... Mostly we need to just trust in God's word. Yeah. That's, the, that's the main thing of that bumper sticker. That, that kind of is. Uh, so to, to, to say that God is uh, telling me something or that God has led me to do something, all of these various forms are the same thing. Is a denial of the sufficiency of Scripture? Defend that. Uh, because so this is the, the sufficiency of Scripture... The, I think one of the chief ways that it is assaulted, and I'll grant that this is a soft assault. In other words, it's an it's an unintended assault, but it is the idea that God has to God has this individualized sort of plan crafted for each one of us, but He hasn't told us what it is, so He's keeping it secret, and He doesn't reveal it to us in the Scriptures. But we're always then trying to do the sort of soft Christian magic fortune telling, looking for the signs, trying to figure out what we ought to do. Hmm. And that is not safe. That it, it and and it denies the sufficiency of the scripture. So okay, that's I think I think that's the main thing. Okay, fair enough. Let's see if there's anything more on this one. All right, enjoy the show. Oh, Thanks nope. for what you guys do. No, I won't. Yeah, okay. you're welcome. What is it that we do? Uh, something. All right, here's another one. Hi, this is David Hello. in Arkansas. Sorry. I've got a church sign for you. This is on a Disciples of Christ church. God doesn't do it to you. He does it for you. Hmm. Okay. God doesn't do it to you. He does it for you. It, I, everything depends on the it in that sentence. Mm. You know? And that could be pretty pretty good. Uh, but what is the it that the Lord does? You know? It's interesting you see, you see what I'm you <laughs> that you would use this ambiguous pronoun on a church sign. I mean, it seems like you'd want to be saying what it is you're talking about on a church sign. I mean, if mm-hmm. if you know, if Pastor Wolfman and I read the Bible from time to time and we don't know what it is, how do we expect the person driving down the road who never touches the thing is going to know what it is? 
Yeah, I mean, we're advanced theological experts. <laughs> well, e whoa, easy. I I don't know about that. We're, you're like the Bill Nye, the science guy of theology. <laughs> and I'm like the, what's the other guy? I don't know. You know the guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You, I... We're like we're like Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson of theology, and it's true. We don't know what it is. It's too abstract. But it, for example, salvation, forgiveness of sins, that would be great. I don't think I want to be is, Bill you Nye. Know, your best life now or healing from cancer, you're going to be in some little more sketchy territory. I reject too that, vague by the to way. render a judgment. It's like the praise song. You know, this is one of uh, this is the, one of the things that you can if you say something so vague that now everyone reads into their own thing. Uh, Remember that Chris Tomlin song that we were talking about, and, and he says, "It's it's a Lord's Supper song," and and uh, he's he's the sentence was the sentence fragment was, uh, "The bread, his body." Oh yeah, that's <laughs> and right. He just left out all verbs. <laughs> I like it. I'm gonna start doing that. And so the I, Baptists that. hear in their head, "His bread is a symbol of the absence of his body." And the Lutherans hear, "His bread is the body." The Presbyterians hear, "His bread is a stand-in for the divine presence, which can't." be contained in the finite of his body or whatever you know who knows what they think interesting uh that's the that's the way to go make it vague that's that was the obama trick you know every obama speech was so it was vague enough that you could read your own stuff in there it's one of the problems with president trump he's not quite vague enough <laughs> <laughs> all right let's too concrete there president let's go to another church sign hello my name is morgan Whitcop, and i live in casper wyoming um, I, I've seen two church signs that I want you to review on your, um, on your table talk radio. So first I saw in Charleston, South Carolina, which said, is prayer your spare tire or your steering wheel? Hmm. And then the second one I saw here in town and it said, don't put your faith in false gourds. As in, like, pumpkins. But it's just a pun. Okay, bye. Thank you. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That's great. Okay, so... Hey, thank you for explaining that. I'm, I didn't know what it was talking about. <laughs> That's because you're hearing this six months after gourds are in season. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, is prayer... Is you're saying during the Reformation season it would have made more sense when That's people right. were worshiping the false gourds? That's right. Mm -hmm. Let's take the first one first. Is, I don't even know what... The, I'm so confused. Is prayer... Your spare tile, tile, tire, or your steering wheel. I understand the spare tire metaphor. You only pull it out when you're in trouble. The steering wheel is a slightly more complex I, metaphor, and I, I suppose, yeah, it means you're driving with it. It seems like you GPS need it all the time. More like the thing. Yeah. What's that? Huh? What? Well, you use it all the time. The steering wheel you you touch every single time you drive. The spare tire you you touch only when you're in. in uh, in the side of the road when it's raining and you have a flat tire. I want to have a bumper sticker that says, is God's word your first preset or the sixth preset on your FM2? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. You like that? That works. I bet you if we put that sign outside, people would be beaten down the door to come to church over here. I think so. Well, th th now this goes to the second one: the use of the Do pun. Do you think the church sign is like the place that you let the volunteer who you think has passive aggressive tendencies go? <laughs> like they got to get it out somewhere, so let them run the church sign. You know, then they can go and they can mock people under the 
under the guise of humor. Yeah, like, oh, here I comes Wilbur again. Wilbur got a good job for the, you. <laughs> that's right. They're they're using the church. So you, we don't want him to be on any of our committees because <laughs> he just sits there with that wry look on his face, throws out a pun every once in a while. That <laughs> is not generally helpful. Like, what can we give this guy to do? Ah, let him do the church signs. That doesn't make any difference. I think that's. I think we figured it out. The church sign is is the place where you let the volunteers who are passive aggressive go. Hmm. Well, what about this one then? Is this is this from passive aggressive Wilbur? Uh, don't put your faith in false gourds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sound passive aggressive to me. You're right. I mean that. So maybe my theory, you've, you've blown my theory to smithereens without much effort here. But. All right. Uh, the, that, sound, that is the basic bread and butter of the church sign, which is make it punny. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, this gets some extra points because it's uh, a pun and it's seasonal. I mean, that's what you also want in your puns. It has a relation to the season. So, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. It's like pumpkin latte. All right, so let's look at it. What did I see? The, I saw the meme Carrie showed me this. She says it was just a picture, and someone says, I hate pumpkin lattes. Don't tell all the white girls. <laughs> okay. I think that should be a church sign, too. Okay, well, let me know how that one goes. You know, okay. fa- Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora can be like a, a testing ground for church signs. I you, think that's a good idea. You, people could call you and say, hey, I think about this one. Will it work? And I'll, I'll let you know in about a week. I think that'd work. Uh, I think uh, we wanted to get a one of those electronic ones so we could flash up all the different puns one after another. Boom, in rapid succession. Yeah. That's What's true. missing in C-H-C-H-U-R? Boom. <laughs> Boom, you've been church signed. <laughs> There's no me and team. <laughs> Whatever. All right, uh, bumper sticker. Hi, pastors. This is Bryant from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, your Wells listener. Oh, I have not. a bumper sticker for you. Little do you know. So this guy's That's a Lutheran. Right. This guy didn't say your Wells Lutheran listener. He just said Wells. I'm <laughs> suspect of this caller. Open Wells. <laughs> we question his levels of fellowship. I, I do, yeah. I saw it in the Sam's Club parking lot yesterday. It says, as for me and my car... We will serve the Lord. Keep up the good work. Bye. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's a little riff on the scripture, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which everybody has a sign of in their house. Do you have a sign in your house? I don't think so. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? No. Nope. We just have the Bible that it comes from. It's. Uh, Do you have a sign? And Whoever has this car must have realized that that, was, that sign and Bible verse were extremely discriminatory towards the people who don't have homes. <laughs> so they've made that adjustment. Uh, I, I'm sure all the homeless appreciate that adjustment. Uh, okay, one sure. more quick church sign before we come up on our next break. Hi, this all is right. David in Arkansas. I've got a church sign. It says, are you part of the in crowd or the stable crew? Okay, and I think this was a Christmas one, so it's the in uh, I think crowd. So. Yeah, stable crew. That's uh Yeah, yeah. Yep. You gotta go and see Jesus. Like the you know, like the uh the shepherds. The stable crew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad, you know this? My dad used to work at a girls' camp and his job was to shovel out the stables. Really? Yes, about that something, yeah. I shall he was part of the stable crew. 
In fact, that's what we should call Table Talk Radio. Your stable crew. <laughs> shoveling theological manure. All right. Your stable crew More servant. than monthly for 10 years. <laughs> We're going to be uh, shoveling it right after we get back. Stay tuned to Table Talk Radio. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Gotcha. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it the Everyone's Luther at wolfmuller.co. Click on the... All right, this table crew is back, and uh, looking at some of the emails, we got a email from Jordan listening in Washington. I think that's great. Uh, I'm gonna. How do we embrace that? The stable crew. Someone make some memes out there. We'll put it on the Facebook. Yeah, do that. Uh, Here's a here's a here's a submission from Jordan Washington. He gives us a couple links to Bishop Barron, who is. a bishop in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to look at where he's at. I wonder why they call him bishop. <laughs> I don't know. We're, what do you? What's the title of a guy? We're going to bishop. We're going to get our crack research team answer that. We're, you know, we used to have Lumpy. Lumpy has. Yeah, what? What happened to that guy? I don't know. Probably got lung cancer. <laughs> oh, because he smoked so much. Yeah, probably yeah, so. Yeah, he smoked his pipe. Plus. Let me see if Lumpy's around here. Hold on. Ask him if you can figure out why this guy's called Bishop Baron. Because I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Anyway, um, in in uh oh, you hear that? That's not good. I think that means he's getting his pipe out. Lumpy's on the job. <laughs> Lumpy here. Lumpy, okay, we got a we got a real tough question for you. There's a guy named Bishop Barron, and uh, why why do you think he is called Bishop? I don't know. I got to research that. <laughs> I'm on it. Okay, let us know. In the meantime, we're going to listen to what he has to say about Martin Luther. He has these nice little videos uh, from his office where he has a bust of I like. Found it. I found it. I found it. You're not going to believe this. Okay. The guy is called Bishop Barron because he is a bishop. Oh, interesting. All right. So that explains it. Well, he releases Checks, these. Uh, bills, invoices in the mail. Video. <laughs> is, he releases a little YouTube uh, video. What do you call those? Video blog, vlogs, whatever. Called Vlog. Uh, Word and Fire is the name of it. Uh, or Word on Fire, rather. Word on Fire. Sounds dangerous. And in this uh, one from. Last June, he talks about the reformer Martin Luther. So we thought we'd just listen in and see if there's anything to comment on. Well, with the great uh, profit and pleasure, I've been reading recently Alec Ryrie's new book called Protestants, the Faith That Made the Modern World. A lot of books are coming out now because it's the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. And I've been reading a, a number of them, and I think uh, his book stands out for its lucidity and its, uh, its verve and its, its energy. In some ways, it reminded me of Brad Gregory's book, uh, The Unintended Reformation, and Gregory looking at it more from the Catholic side, Ryrie from the Protestant side. 
um, what I most appreciated, though, is toward the beginning of his book, is his portrait of the undisputed founder of the Protestant movement, namely Martin Luther. Now, I'll confess to a certain fascination with Luther over many years. Um, I started reading I him probably when I was too. in college. I read <laughs> a lot of his books and articles and sermons, etc. And then for about 10 years, when I was a teacher at Mondelein Seminary, I taught a course, uh, kind of a graduate level course, in the theology of the 16th century, which involved reading an awful lot of Luther. Say what you want about Martin Luther, he's one of the most beguiling figures of the time. I mean, he was cantankerous, he was pious, he was uh, brilliant, he was um, deeply anti-Semitic, he was wonderful. <laughs> Just toss that in there. I, I love how he has all these... He's basically these, a proto-Hitler. <laughs> he has all these you know, wonderful descriptions of Martin Luther and then deeply anti-Semitic. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I was on board until that came in. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about this many times before. I don't know that I agree. Well, obviously, I don't agree with the with the label at all. But it's asserting something in particular to say he was deeply anti-Semitic. I mean, even even if we were to concede that he was anti-Semitic at all, which I think we can address, um, you know, it, this isn't something like we see as a consistent pattern within all of his writings from you know fifteen. 15 to the time of his death. I mean, that that I think would be a matter of being deeply anti-Semitic. But even those things that he said, uh, if you're going to accuse him of being anti-Semitic, uh, did not run through his entire career, but rather really towards the end of his life. Now, uh, given that he said certain things towards the end of his life, are they anti-Semitic, Pastor Wolfinger? I want to. I, so, can I'm gonna I'm gonna punt on this because I want to I want to give a fuller treatment of that because this is every. I mean, when we were in Germany last year, this is absolutely everywhere. It's almost assumed that Luther said horrible stuff. So, I picked up on the Jews and their lies, which is the main thing that people go to, and it, this is a tract that Luther wrote in the end of his life against the. So there was a couple of rabbis in Wittenberg who or there. There's a couple of rabbis who had written a tract that um, against Christianity, and it came to Wittenberg. So Luther had in his hands a particular tract. We don't have it anymore, but it was telling people that they shouldn't believe that Jesus is God, that God is only one. In other words, it was talking about the, the heresies of the Christian church. And Luther responded to that tract in this essay. And I started reading the essay because you, you hear about all these kind of vitriolic, horrible things that are in there. And um, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, this tract that Luther wrote on the Jews and their lies is just, it's, it, it's nice. It's, and it says, you know, it's, it's hard to evangelize the Jewish people, but we ought to bear with their errors in love and all sorts of stuff. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's got a lot of unexpected things in there. Now, does he overstate his case? Probably. But, but if, let me say this, if, uh, if the Nazis would have gone after the Catholics instead of the Jews, and then the Holocaust would have been a Holocaust of Roman Catholics versus a Holocaust of Jews, there would be a lot, a lot, a lot more stuff that you could pull from Luther to show his anti-Catholic bent mm. than there is to show his anti-Lutheran bent. I mean, the way that he speaks about the Pope... You mean anti-Jewish bent. Yeah, 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 however that goes. So the way, he's, the way he spoke about the Catholic Church is much more vitriolic than the way he spoke about the Jewish people in mm -hmm, general. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, we're reading back on this thing from the other side of the Holocaust, which itself is not quite fair. But I even think that even that 
to give a fair reading to this thing um, is um, is an important sort of thing. So to not look to, when you hear people say this anti-Semitic, well, go and read the thing that Luther wrote, and understand that he was responding to a tract that said all the Christians should repent to become Jewish. And and this you see is in fact not as kind of poisonous and dastardly as it's normally painted out to be. Oh yeah, and I think that we should say also that anti-Semitism, by definition, is to be against the ethnicity of the Jews. And Luther was responding to the religion of Judaism. So the the religious claims of who Jesus is or who Jesus isn't was what what Luther was responding to. Um, It wasn't, he had nothing to say about uh, a people group according to their bloodline or their ethnicity. So uh, that, I, I don't think the label fits just for on that standard alone. Yep. All right. Well, yep, yep. This we'll is, let, I mean, okay. we, we read also this. We So we read this back through the Holocaust and through eugenics and through Darwin. I mean, yeah. it's Darwin that, who taught us to think of people in terms of different. I mean, I suppose it was around before, but with the uh, evolutionary idea that you have different advancements in the, in the different races, this is a completely pagan idea and nowhere Christian. And Luther didn't have it. I know it, it, it's sometimes depicted as if uh Adolf Hitler was like, I'm going to read some good Luther. Hmm, pick this book and read it. And then he, he reads uh, these sections and goes, ah, what a great idea I have now because I read Luther. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. this is not what was going on. So uh, more from right, that's right. Bishop. And, go ahead. <laughs> oh, and to say that, you know, that 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 Hitler was a was Lutheran. I mean, <laughs> that's embarrassing. I mean, Luther, you know. You got the commandment in there. You shall not kill. That should probably come up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. When he was exasperating, I mean, all at the same time, and uh, I think that's why people keep coming back to Luther with a certain uh, fascination. The other thing too, his writings, um, even though I disagree with massive amounts of what Luther says, it's hard not to like his literary style. Um, he's one of the rare people from the time of Augustine on, who's able to write in Latin with an awful lot of verve and energy. His, his works kind of crackle when you read them. So anyway, Luther, snap, snap I've been fascinated for a long time. Well, mm-hmm. Ryrie sort of prompted me to, to squint at Luther in a somewhat new way, looking at Luther with uh, fresh eyes. He uses the categories of, of fighter and lover. You know, uh, Luther quite obviously was a fighter. Um, look, he took on the Roman Curia, he took on the Pope, he took on the Emperor, took on the electors of, of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, he took on the Inquisitors, etc., etc. Luther was a very pugnacious figure. And there's no doubt that he bequeathed to Protestantism this fighting spirit. I mean, from Zwingli and Calvin all the way through Karl Barth, you can see... That explains why the Calvinists have so many blogs. Now I get it. Yeah, Luther. It was the bequeathment of, from Luther. <laughs> Imagine how many blogs Luther would have. He would put the Calvinists <laughs> to shame. What do you think Luther's hashtag would be, you know, his Twitter handle? Uh, At Wittenberg Nightingale. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. All right, we need to uh, take one more break, and then we're going to get into the meat of this video uh, in which uh, Bishop Robert Barron uh, finally gets at um, the, the the new look that he has for the reformer Martin Luther 
And uh, I think you'll find it to be rather interesting. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We're going to be right back right after this. More from Bishop Robert Barron on the vlog. See, that's video and blog tied together. Uh, Word on fire. Yeah, yeah. Stick with me and and you you won't miss these things. He's up to date on the times, on the technology. (laughs) Yeah. I'll, uh... Yeah, I'm uh, glad I downloaded you to my iPod. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. Don't you just hate it when your underwear bunches up and your socks get all droopy? This is Table Talk Radio. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. All right, before we had to break, we were listening to Bishop Robert Barron talk about Luther, the fighter and the lover. The fighter, as he had bequeathed to all the Calvinists out there. <laughs> Glad that we have nothing to do with that. That's right. We're the lovers, baby. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. This sort of, you know, protesting side of Protestantism. So that's true. But Ryrie insists, and I think he's right about this, that that's only to see a, a comparatively small part of the picture. Because Luther was also, and primarily, a lover. And what he means here is he's somebody who fell in love radically with God. So we know the story well that Luther, the pious Augustinian monk, after you know, many, many years of striving and striving and striving through all sorts of spiritual exercise and moral excellence to be pleasing to a, to a just and demanding God, in the famous Turm Erlebnis, the Germans call it the Tower Experience, Luther felt this breakthrough of grace that he's justified not by his own uh, heroic effort, but oh, well, I'll finish this by the sheer grace of God, accepted as a gift in faith. Can, can I point out that he just used an operative word there that Luther felt that he was saved by grace? As if, Interesting. I mean, as if the window flung open and the Holy Spirit just started rubbing his shoulders or something, and Luther goes, oh, I feel like I'm saved by grace. Um, and it had, at least in that sentence, had nothing to do with the study of God's Word here, like when he was reading Romans, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, I don't know if, uh, if this is a mischaracterization based upon the direction he's going. This will make more sense later. Or if this is just how we think today, or I should say how we feel today. <laughs> you know, that we're constantly... Um, emoting rather than thinking that we're actually we're always saying mm-hmm. this is how I feel about something rather than this is what I think about something. I asked Hannah this morning, how do you say uh, I think we're going to be late to school in Spanish? I don't know why I thought of that particular sentence, but I asked her how to say it. And so how do you say that? It's not penso, you know, I, I think, but it's creo que I, I believe uh, is how they say it, in Spanish, which is so much better because now we don't even say I think we say. I feel. I feel like we're going to be late. I feel like I got a B on that test. Well, what? It's just feel just as a, the, the word that we use for internal reality. Now, I, I do 
want to say that Luther did say after the tower experience, he says, I felt as though I had been altogether born again. So Luther does use the language there, but but we should not take this to be a completely subjective thing because Luther says, as he as he describes it, he says, I paid attention to the words. Mm-hmm. And it was it was feelings not based on feelings, but feelings based on what God's word said. Interesting. That set Luther free and set him free to love God. And this was mediated to him by uh, by the Bible, the great no. text, especially of, of St. Paul. So Luther fell radically in love with the God who had radically expressed his love for him. Radically. Um, and there's the heart, if you want even the mystical heart, of Protestantism. Now, trace that as well, from everyone from John Wesley through um, Schleiermacher all the way up to contemporary times. You can see this, call it mystical, affective dimension of Protestantism. Now, here's why I say this caused me what to... What is it called? The mystical... Um, what, mystical something? Now, here's why I Oops, say... Sorry, I meant to back it up a little bit. Call it mystical, affective dimension of Protestantism. Mystical, affective. Okay. Now, here's why I say this caused me to squint at Luther in a new way. Because I'll use another standard set of categories. Often religious um, experience is analyzed according to either the mystical or the prophetic, right? So mystical is, is experiential. It's often the, the kind of you know, priestly, sacramental side of things. Then there's the prophetic, oh boy. which is very word-oriented. It's challenging, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in almost all the characterizations, oh Luther falls on the, on the prophetic side of that divide. And indeed, you can find a lot of things in Luther to justify just that move. But Ryrie prompted me to think, I don't know, maybe that's not really adequate to it that if anything, Luther falls on this more mystical, the, the, the lover side of the equation, you know? Uh. Now, why do I say that helped me to see it differently? Well, think about someone now who's in love, who's fallen in love. What do they do and oh, what boy. do they sound like? <laughs> well, consult the high romantic poets or consult even a teenager talking about his first crush. Don't do that. They tend to use words like forever and only and always. <laughs> Something that's over the top, that's exaggerated in the speech of people who have fallen in love. And if I might bring this up to date, um, look at my great hero, uh, the Nobel laureate Bob Dylan, who's a distant uh, spiritual descendant, if you want, of Martin Luther, because in the late 70s, Bob Dylan becomes an evangelical uh, Christian. He writes a song not long really? after his conversion called Saving Grace. It's a lovely song. It includes the line, I look around this old world and all that I'm finding is the saving grace that's over me. Now, mind you, this is the same Bob Dylan who a handful of years before had talked about Desolation Row, who had talked about uh, you know, unmasking the executioners who had talked about pellets of poison, poison flooding our waters, and so on and so forth. This is a sharply, prophetically critical Bob Dylan, who in the wake of his own experience of grace can say, all that I'm finding, all that I see, <laughs> is the saving grace that's over me. That's the way people in love sound. Now listen to Martin Luther. The great solas, the three solas of the Reformation, right? 
Sola fide, by faith alone. Grazia so, so sola, the, by I grace guess. alone. I see what this guy's Scriptura doing. sola, by the Bible alone. Well, what is that but the sort of excessive, extravagant, over-the-top expression of a powerful, mystical experience? All right. So... Uh, so the so the solace and the extreme language of the Reformation is to be explained by Luther's great love. Yeah, he was a lover, not a fighter. Right. That's it. So so yeah yeah so so that the uh, solas of the Reformation are just a product of Luther's romance with God. Wow. That is really interesting. I've never. Have you heard anything like that? Before? No, this I is the not, first I've ever heard. I have it. But, not. But I, I, I mean, it's interesting because he talks at the beginning of the video how well read he is of Luther, which mm-hmm. surprises me, doesn't it? Because I mean, Luther, um, I mean, when 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 Luther is criticized for entering the or inserting the word a line in German or alone uh, of Romans what three right that. Uh, that he doesn't say, well, you know, I'm just kind of caught up in the moment, so you'll have to excuse how uh, emotive I was when translating into German. He makes a defense on the basis of language that this is needed right. to convey the truth of the text into German. You know, so it's, <laughs> I mean, um, for someone who's so well read of Luther, you would think that he would see his uh, intellectual engagement with the arguments, not just, you know, I mean, well, you 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 can't get a a teenager in love with his first love to talk about the, the 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 necessity of grammatical insertions into words. I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen. Uh, I don't know how how many teenagers in love have you talked to recently? They're all about the grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. I mean, what this guy has done is he's just found a way to dismiss Luther. I mean, he's found a way to say, okay, look, look, Luther was overblown. Now, we can admit some of that. I mean, Luther did speak in stark terms, depending on the context in which he was talking. But that, uh, it, um, we need to pay careful attention to that. And it doesn't mean that it's like, well, Luther just went a little bit crazy because he was just deeply in love and probably the the other people were indifferent. I mean, it. There is a there is some truth in this. I mean, Luther would criticize the the Pope and the priests at the time that they didn't care. I mean, they he's one of his roundest criticisms of the Pope is the Pope and the priests they don't care if God frowns or smiles at them, <laughs> and Luther was particularly interested in having God's smile and not his frown, and he knew that that happened through nothing but the blood of Jesus. But that's not a way that just to kind of dismiss him and say, oh, he went and he said too much, and now we can sort of soften it or whatever that's not um that's not the way we want to go on that and and, i mean even just the assertion in the first place that that's focusing in on this mystical experience of luther is uh already a denial of what luther was trying to advocate in the insistence upon god's word i mean that luther was promoting and teaching and and arguing for the sufficiency of Scripture. I mean, this is what he was all about against the mystical experience of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The word, the word, the word. That's how Luther said it. Five hundred more okay. points. <clears throat> you did. What did you say? The sufficiency. Yeah, I got it again, and not just by borrowing from your sentences. I the, thought imitation was the 
finest form of flattery. <laughs> That's a, like a thousand Table Talk radio points for me. All right, you have a last word here? Uh, you, you know, um, if we start to – there's a danger – when we let the biography take over the words, and hmm. Luther is helpful to us when he points us to Christ, and he does that in his in his words. And there's a danger when we look too much at Luther the man, which is what this guy's doing. Too much at Luther the man. We want to hear how he confessed Christ, and see if that is in line with the scripture. Well said. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Mortalism, Patrick. <laughs> Mortalism. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, heartburn, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, alopecia, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.